Kia ora. Welcome to Down to Earth Conversations, where we hear from ordinary people who are helping to bring a bit of heaven down to earth. I'm Andrew Dixon. It's good to have you here. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Down to Earth Conversations. In some ways, for those in Aotearoa, New Zealand at least, life seems to be settling back to normal post-lockdown. But in reality, a lot has changed. Mentally, emotionally, relationally and financially, many of us have found ourselves under the pump. In terms of finances, government subsidies are running out, redundancies are coming thick and fast. Some businesses are thriving in the new space, while some are really struggling. Today's guest, owner and director of Christchurch business Heat Pumps Now, knows all about struggling financially and all the personal pressures that that brings. He also knows what it's like to turn the corner again. Today we discuss his business journey and also his personal journey through heartache, loss, pain, community and healing. I just offer a trigger warning at this point. Uh, we do go quite deep in places mentioning suicide, anxiety and depression uh, as well as complications in pregnancy. Uh, so just a warning that those things are in the in the conversation. Uh, however, this conversation brings hope in all of those spaces. Uh, I'll place some ways to seek support in the show notes for those who would like to reach out. This is episode 9 of Down to Earth Conversations. Here's Blair Ashdown. Emily actually had surgery on her womb, um, you know, while she was pregnant. So just, you know, four or five years ago, just not possible in New Zealand. So some people pray for a miracle, right? In this case, I think that miracle had already happened, even had the ability to have that, because the prognosis for her and for the baby, was the healthy baby was really pretty, pretty thin, to be fair. Cool, so we're here today with Blair Ashdown from Heat Pumps Now. Welcome, Blair. Uh, good morning. Uh, so why don't we start with just telling us a bit about um, who you are, where you're from, what, what makes you, you? Oh, awesome, awesome. Thanks, Andy. Thanks for your time. We, uh, I, start with I, I am uh, the owner of Heat Pumps Now. Um, I'm a father of four, uh, Canterbury born and bred, so uh, that wonderful cut man I bled red and black, which pretty much the rest of the country hates. But uh, yeah, True Blue Cantabrian uh, originally basically set up the business. We saw a need in the community and wanted to support that. So uh, that's that's what we did. Um, completely post-earthquake, so we weren't part of the earthquake right. buzz at all. We basically um, set it up after that, mm. supporting mum and dad, um, homeowners and property investors with their, their heating needs. So. Cool. And and what, what are you passionate about? What, what drives you? Yeah. In the business, but also just in life. Yeah, just, uh, well, the, the two go hand in hand, right? Yeah. My, my absolute passion is to um, support and train people and, mm. and, and see them grow as people, like whether that's in their personal life, you know, uh, work life. Mm. That's my whole drive, my whole existing mm. for being. So we definitely see that through our workplace. So within our work, pretty much everybody that's involved in the business has never been involved in the industry before. Right. We've taken them and trained them from scratch. Mm. Uh, they may have some crossover skills, but we work on, uh, the idea of, of excellence being our 
our perimeter. So we're looking for really great people. Uh, there's some real characters in there as well, but yeah. and, and and it's the same in life as well. I think over my lifetime, I've been mentored pretty much my entire life. I've had mm. four, five, six mentors. Now, if you ask me, I'd probably have eight. You know, mm. in different areas of life. So I I love receiving that, but I love giving that mm. as well. Yeah. Cool. Um, I also have observed that one of the things that brings you alive is dad jokes. Is that <laughs> is that something that that uh, flows through your veins that, naturally? That, that may or may not be the truth. <laughs> uh, I I I comedy's great. Comedy's great. You know, no matter what's going on, um, comedy just brings you back and, and centers you as a person. Um, you, you, you crack a joke in the middle of a serious moment in the right time and it can really just bring people back to the reality of the situation yeah. but yeah I absolutely love it um, you know we talk about oh, I'm mad my kids are mad and we're slowly driving my wife mad so yeah. <laughs> um, no. it's yeah dead dead jokes are awesome <laughs> um, speaking of driving or being being mad um, is it true that you recently made your eldest two sons run an unbelievable amount of time to get some McDonald's? Uh, yeah, so during, during lockdown, yes, look, that, that is true. The uh, During lockdown, uh, the kids were getting a wee bit bored. And, and listen, they were they were great. I know uh, for us as a family, we got closer together. It was a wonderful, mm. wonderful time for us as a family. But we were sitting around the dinner table, which we do on a nightly basis, and I just threw out there um, that they'd asked if they could have McDonald's as soon as we came into lockdown four. And I said, yeah, of course you can if you do 100 laps of the park, jokingly, not thinking they would for a moment <laughs> even consider it. Immediately, um, Isaac, who's the eldest, uh, he's 16, he basically goes, brilliant, let's do it. And, the, and, the, and my second son, Theo, he's uh, 13, he's like, absolutely no way. And I thought, oh, all right, it's, it's a good challenge. We'll see what happens. And anyway, this park is about 800 metres per lap. So we said, right, you'd do 20 laps on the, on the Friday night, 40 on the Saturday, 40 on the Sunday. Well, Isaac could run that distance easily and, and finish it quite well. Theo didn't. He would never borrow that, so he walked it. So on the Saturday, he started about 9.30 in the morning, didn't finish till nearly 4 o'clock. But on the Sunday, he still had 52 laps to go, which is the equivalent of walking a marathon. And uh, he was just completely determined to finish. So he started at 8.30 in the morning on the Sunday. He didn't finish till quarter to 11 that night. Wow. And so we have family members coming over and doing laps, and poor old dog was exhausted, you know, um, the wee pug that we've got. But, um, yeah, that's pretty pretty much how nutty they are. So they finish this challenge. They have on the you know they have a day off the next day, which was the Monday. On the Tuesday, they get their McDonald's, right? So by dinner on the Tuesday night, they said, what would it take us to go to Fiji? <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, no, this is... So I said 1,000 laps. So, you know, it's, they, did, they didn't quite take up that challenge. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Um, you talk about having uh, a wife and four boys. That's not the full story of you and your family. Um, do you want to tell us just a bit about that and, and that journey for you? Yeah, of course, of course. So we had the first two boys. They were off to school and then we decided to have two more. Getting pregnant has never been a problem for us. Um, and so, but ironically, to go back one step, we actually got pregnant during the earthquakes right. uh, and and. Emily was actually um, about 11 weeks when the February earthquake hit. Um, unfortunately, you know, for one reason or another, we lost that baby to about 11 weeks and six days, believe it or not. Left it a while, as, as, as you would during those times, but then got pregnant again. And then we'd always had this joke, you know, we're going to have twins. We have got twins on both sides of the family, so it was, was 
a legitimate yep. you know opportunity um, and then I think it was something like the 29th of December we were due for the 12 week scan we walk in and uh, Emily lays on the bed uh, the moment the um, person doing the assessment uh, stuck the, um, uh, the ultrasound on mm -hmm. her you see this, this very strong heartbeat but some very interesting sort of Mm. plumbing going all over the place and we discovered that we actually had a cardiac twins which uh, for those out there that have never heard of that mm. uh, that's not unusual it, mm. we, we were probably the first pregnancy in 20 years that had wow. a cardiac twins so much so the hospital didn't have records of the previous one wow. it was only that an older nurse knew about it mm. so basically that meant that the two twins were sharing a heart um, which wow. as you can imagine the inevitability of that is one will survive and one won't yeah so straight away we were told at the 12 weeks scan, um, you know, basically this mm -hmm. is the situation, one will live, one will pass away. And uh, that was within the first 30 seconds of the scan. Um, then basically we were immediately sent to the hospital, 10 more scans later, a whole bunch of consultation, and here we are now in the public system being yeah. scanned. At one stage I think she had nine scans in three days. Wow. Um, the end result is um, the... Um, a cardiac twin or the one without the heart is severely deformed, has no frontal lobe, is missing vital organs, mm. uh, doesn't have lungs. But the difficult thing is you've you know you're then told basically zero chance of this mm. baby surviving. But if we don't intervene, the chances of your wife surviving and the and the actual healthy baby mm. surviving. Are, are actually really slim. Mm. Um, the old term was parasitic twin, which we don't call it now, yeah. but it, it literally toxifies the blood and basically yeah. is going to make everybody very, very sick very quickly. So then you, you're basically left with a very tough decision yeah. on, on what to do next. Mm -hmm. Which, to be fair, wasn't actually that tough a decision um, because the, the, the other twin had literally had mm. no chance of survival, like mm. zero chance. Mm. Um, uh, you know, an act of, of God, which would be a significant yeah. one, right? Um, four years earlier, five years earlier, they'd done a procedure in Auckland or started doing them called a laser ablution, which basically at about 19 weeks separates the two twins by, by laser ablution, which um, stops that toxic blood being sent to the... Um, the, the healthy one. Uh, yeah, to, well, in that case, the unhealthy one. Oh, right. So yep. health, healthy blood from the mother to the, the first baby and then toxic blood from one to two, baby yep. one to baby two, and then back to the mother to be, be recycled through. Right. But obviously over time, those volumes increase, exponentially being twins. Mm. Um, so we spent a week in Auckland at hospital up there where Emily actually had surgery on her womb, um, you know, while she was pregnant. Mm. So just, wow. you know, four or five years ago, just not possible in yeah. New Zealand. So, you know, some would say, you know, some people pray for a miracle, right? Mm. In this case, I think that miracle had already happened to even have the ability to have that because yeah. the prognosis for her and for the baby was, the healthy baby was really pretty pretty thin, to be fair. Mm. Um, yeah. A tumultuous time. In my experience of pain and suffering, people often don't know how to handle it when someone else is in pain and suffering that sometimes people can do things that are really helpful um, to to get alongside us and whatever and sometimes people can do things that are really not helpful mm. what were your experiences of of what were the things that helped you in your suffering uh, in your pain in your 
your journey there and what were the things that actually you wish people just kept their mouth shut or hadn't done or that kind of thing? Yeah. There's two aspects to it, right? It's how we, how we reacted personally and yeah. how others reacted towards us. So yeah. for us personally, one of the things we realised was at the very early stages, we were not the drivers of this roller coaster. Yeah. We were actually the passengers. We actually had a sense of control, but we didn't have control yeah. as well. So at the very early stages, we realised that. And so what would happen in terms of um, general pregnancy, the, the mums are given as much leniency to make decisions mm-hmm. with as much information as they can to guide them in, in, in a direction that's going to produce a healthy baby. But there are options, mm-hmm. right? The only time that medical professionals will intervene is when it's, it's crisis level, where yep. you now have no decisions to make. We do it all for you. Step out of the way. We're going to do this for you. But what we decided to do was to actually say to them, give us the best option. Give us the options, but give us the best option in this situation, mm-hmm. and we will follow that advice. Yep. So we had to say that so often it wasn't funny. So even mm-hmm. to the point where the, where the twin was born, um, the second twin, whose name was Daniel, we gave him the name Daniel, the first child that survived was Jackson, um, who's just a firecracker like you wouldn't believe. Very healthy heart, by the way. Um, when the two babies had been born, technically we had a stillborn, and then we also had, uh, you know, because they classed that baby, even though it was at 19 mm-hmm. weeks the surgery happened, they still classed that as a full-term delivered baby, which, believe it or not, she had a natural, natural birth. Wow. And so they have what's called the green room, which mm. you go on when you've had a stillborn. So they said to us, cool, we've got the green room set up for you. And we're like, whoa, hold on a minute. What we want to do is celebrate this beautiful mm. life that's been created between us and, and, and the time for mourning will come later. We want to yeah. celebrate. And they said, okay, great, well, that, that's fine. So that was kind of how we dealt with it personally. In terms of others, we had the most amazing family support. Mm. Like You wouldn't believe. Like, all of our families here... Both sides extremely supportive, aunties, uncles, you know, every, everybody was just there the whole way, which in crisis time, family's the number one, right, if you've got yeah. a great family. Uh, and so they they were there through thick and thin and always have been and always will be and, and, and vice versa for us. Mm. In terms of friends, uh, what we have is this wonderful community of friends. We call it a community because it's bigger than like a church yep. set up or, a, or just a sports club or something like that. Mm. It's, actually, it's actually, we're talking about, it takes a village to raise a child, yeah. right? But that, I think it takes a village to support a family too. Totally. And so what we have with this wonderful, and I think of um, friends of ours, Dom and Marguerite Wilson, mm-hmm. like as soon as they knew what was going on, hey guys, just letting you know we're here, just let us know how we can support you. Mm-hmm. Um, and knowing their journey as well was just su- such an amazing offer. Thing, you know you know that it brings pain up for other people, but in that respect yeah. they, they are like... Uh, they're not going to impose on you, but they absolutely want to be there if you if mm. you need to talk or you need to just vent or anything like that. You know that at, the, at a moment's notice you could ring them day or night and that they'd be there, right? Mm. And that was probably the collective sort of attitude of everybody mm. is we'll give you as much or as little as you need. Just, just reach out and let us know, which on occasions we did. Um, but we, we had wonderful support um, mm. from our network. Um, yeah. Our community, so yeah. we're very, uh, very blessed here. Yeah. Mm. Awesome. How long after that was it before you started the heat pumps business? Ooh, that's uh, Jackson's. Well, it may, may have only been a year and a bit later. Uh, yeah, well, because we've had kids before. Child yeah. number three arrives, and we're like, ah, oh, this is this is pretty sweet. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I. 
it's an interesting one because I'm mm. very, I, I love risk, yep. like taking some risks, uh, whereas Emily doesn't. Um, and so what had been happening is I'd been doing a few little extra jobs for friends and family, just yep. nothing too major, but that was that was growing. So I thought, oh, sweet, you know. Mm. But as time went on, that just got more and more and more and more and more requests came in. And I just, just went, this is just too much, working a full-time job and then doing mm. other little projects for others. And so um, it was actually one of the reps that worked for Mitsubishi that actually said to me, look, you, you can do this yourself. Mm. Go out on your own. Went home and uh, thinking, I'm not going to get this anywhere. I'm going to go home and say this to Emily. She's going to be like, you're just loopy mm. again. Uh, absolutely no way. And her first response was, fantastic, when are you going to start it? So right. this was the October, well, the yeah. October, and we started the business 1st of April the mm. following year. Um, and in the very early days of being married, I'd, I'd been dealing with a property valuer and we'd had, we'd had a little bit of trouble finding a first house because I thought I had a say in it. But this, this valuer actually said to me, you do realise that you've got no say at all, just do what you're told. And he, he said, you know, your wife's got wisdom on her side, whereas you've got that, that, that drive, mm. that risk drive. So you've got a great balance. He said, you need to listen to your wife. And I've never, ever forgotten mm. that. If she says no to something, then either I need to go away and do some more research, come up yep. with some more facts and figures or um, a new concept, and then mm. come back and represent to the point where she's happy. Mm. Uh, she's not always happy with, with some of the ideas that come through. But in general, I'm really looking to be on the same page mm. or, or have her agreement. Otherwise, I'm generally not going to do it. So you guys actually make a great team because of your difference? I think so, and yeah. we're vastly different. Yeah. Trust me, if you like the two of us, <laughs> we yeah. are very, very different. Mm. We've always tried to work on common ground, so yeah. we, we start the business on common ground. Mm. Mm. One thing that's really noticeable, like following you guys on social media, things like that, is that right from early on, you've been more than just about making money and installing heat pumps. Mm. Um, that, like you said at the start, you've got a heart for helping people. Um, but you've also connected with charities, with other people doing good stuff and used your business to help promote that. Do you want to tell us a bit about what that looks like for you, why you do that, what, what's the point of that? Um, because it's not a typical business model to have the, the money not being the, the priority of everything. Um, yeah, we, it's, it's always been the hardest, right from the very early mm. fabric, even, even at the early um, content creation of website content, thank you, mm. Inform PR. Yeah, it, it has been, and the thing is that if you can be more than that, it's so much more meaningful when mm. when when you do a charity event or you're involved emceeing an event or you're supporting someone. I think we gave away um, a, a couple of two hundred dollar uh, like um, donations to some to a charity that was having a launch, um, and the two people like they. It was like they'd won a lotto, hmm. you know. In the in the early days, I realised that means so you know so much can mean to so many that cost so little. Mm. Like you just don't realise that the impact that you have in someone's life. We can share kind words and stuff like that, but sometimes they mean a little bit more than that. Yeah. And so it, it, it's inspiring. It's inspiring seeing people live out their dreams and be everything that they want to be. But in some cases, and particularly for me, I'm a little bit of a talent spotter and I've always been like that. If, if I see something more in someone, I'm going to push them really hard, like really hard. So um, it, we're currently with this guy, um, let's call it training in sales, but at the same time he's going to run operations as well. Mm. Um, Chris, I, I, don't ask me how he does it, he's an absolute genius, but he, he works really hard. And, I, and, I, and I'll push him to, to get more and more out of him, not because it's going to produce 
a result at the back end because it takes more time to train people. That's the reality. Mm. But, you know, at the end of the day, I want to see the very best for him. You know, 26 years old, he's got dreams and, and, and goals and visions that, man, I didn't even know existed when I was 26. Yeah. So why wouldn't you support that, right? Mm. So then flip that over on the community side. And in the very early days, we, we do, once a year, we do a thing called a big day in, which is our whole marketing plan for a whole year. And in one of the very early sessions, and I can't remember who came up with the concept, but we figured out that your business entity and your community arm are actually two separate entities. Mm -hmm. So if you're doing a community arm to produce a result for your business, it's the wrong entity in the wrong headspace. Don't do it, basically. But if you're doing that as a standalone, I'm going to support these people and I'm going to show love, Mm -hmm. unconditional love, agape love to this this. Mm Um, community event or, or whatever is a standalone thing not looking to get leads out of it not looking to produce a result or get mm-hmm. some status or get it get it ad published then that's the the that's the perfect way to do it mm-hmm. now the reason for that is because you get you actually get a heck of a lot more out of it emotionally than you do monetary wise yeah. you cannot buy this kind of um, you know um, this kind of feeling, I, I don't know what the word is, but it's something yeah. so amazing. You get to be um, something so special to somebody mm. for, for that moment in time, right? And that, <clears throat> I remember uh, doing a Young Entrepreneurs Challenge um, at the high schools, which is basically they have two and a half days to uh, bring this entrepreneurial idea, to, idea mm. together and then business leaders from the community come in and for a half day they present their ideas. Um, so I remember the first one I ever did was St Margaret's, which was just the most polished thing you've ever seen. Absolutely wonderful school. Wish I had girls. I'd probably seen one there. Um, but th- these guys are just like every single one of them you'd have in your business in the heart. But they're just yeah. so on point. The second year I did the same. We did the same challenge with them. A little bit different again. That next level mm-hmm. again. The entire year at St Margaret's did it, wow. and then they stopped it because it just it was just crazy how how good it was and. Now they're getting really creative. But that same year, I did Limwood High School. Mm-hmm. Now, it's a totally different setup, and and, and and it's just ironic that it's east and west side, right, mm-hmm. in, in the Christchurch map. And some of the, the comments, the way that they present, the, the lack of detail, the lack of ideas, the lack of planning was remarkable. But there was one girl that we went up to, and I forget her name, but we, we had an article done about her. And... She was. She'd be lucky to be four foot eleven this wee thing. Um, just absolutely wonderful, bubbly personality, which a lot of them did not want to be there. But this wonderful, lovely, bubbly personality, and uh, she presented. She presented as perfectly as we would see at St Margaret's, to the point where I went. I was looking at some of the other people because we've now got this little community mm-hmm. going around in, in terms of the, um, uh, you know, the community business leaders. Mm-hmm. And she's giving me the eyebrow going, like, this is a star, man. Like, and I mm. said to this this um, young woman, uh, so two and a half days you've had to do this. How long did it take you to put this together? And she said, oh, no, I just did this this morning in two and a half hours. I said, you did you did two and a half days work in two and a half hours? She's like, yeah. I was like, how did you do that? She's like, well, I was in another group, but I really hated Michelle and Marie was being really horrible. So I decided to change groups at the last minute, which was which was common for the school, you know. That's the dynamic nature. It's, it's really beautiful, but it's really chaotic. And I went, you're joking. I said, you're a star. And then afterwards we got together and we 
we just sort of took her aside as, as, as a collective group of leaders and said, mate, you are just so fantastic. We just want to acknowledge your greatness, yeah. basically. So I thought, you know what, let's push this a wee bit further. So I asked one of the local papers to come down and do an interview. Well, she starts telling a story during this interview. It is so horrifically amazing. Mm. Um, and I won't go into detail because obviously mm. it's, uh, some of it's published, but a lot of it wasn't. Mm. But it was so horrific at times that the person, the person that's come from the paper cannot speak. She's absolutely wow. bawling to the point where I said, do you want me to take over the interview? And she just waved a finger saying, you know, take over. But that's the beautiful nature of what we can get involved with mm. to really impact in, in people's lives. The difficult thing when it's when it's a charity, and we, we both know this from, mm. from experience, when it's a charity, the, the, the money pool is extremely limited. So there's a pushing and there's a pulling and there's, you know, it's always, you know, the sound desk wants to spend $1,800 on a mic, whereas the, you know, the organist wants a new key for $35. So, um, that's 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 the push pull nature of not for profits. It's, it's it's hideous. I really hate it. I I, I really hope that's not our model for the future because mm. it's a ridiculous model. Um, always with our hand out, right? Always yeah. asking, wondering where the next dollars come from. And I think there's a business integration that can happen. That's mm. starting to happen now with lots of companies like Upstream, yeah. partnering with business, providing uh, referrals and leads, getting sales from that, and then getting you know a share of the profit. Um, which is which is a wonderful way, and is mm. the future of not for profits. Uh, it's just taken us a while to get onto that, but of course, not for profits aren't set up like that either. Yeah. We've got a lot of introverts and a lot. Of <laughs> there's extroverted business owners getting in there. Um, uh, but on on the business side, when you when you attach a community, a dedicated community arm or a dedicated um, uh, vision to a not for profit aspect of business, what you do have is money. Mm. Money's not the the for us, money's not the issue. Yeah. Finding the worthy cause is the issue, yep. or the worthy charity. Or in our case, what we look for is we call it the grey area. So they're not eligible to get any funding from anywhere, and in some cases, they're not eligible to receive something from, say, ACC, for example. Yep. Um, so we had a wonderful um, fundraiser for a, a woman that had a, had a cancer on her spine, but it forced her to grow exponentially so much so that her wheelchair was so big it wouldn't fit into a regular vehicle. Had to be retrofitted, mm-hmm. so we we talked to Mitsubishi, managed to get her a fridge. Like we could have done the raffle about thirty times over, you know. Mm-hmm. But in the end, what happened with the, these wonderful people was they got the vehicle and they got so much money that they started trying to give some of it back. So they needed thirty five, ended up with forty two thousand or mm-hmm. something. So then they were able to pay it forward as well. Yeah, you know, cool. and these are the kind of wonderful people that that we've been involved with. Mm-hmm. So it's it's amazing. Then what happens within the team is you then at a Christmas day, if you've done something meaningful during the year, inevitably the conversation comes around. You ask people, what was the best thing you're involved with this year? Yeah. Getting this new tool or getting your pay rise or um, getting a bonus. Oh, no, no. It was this, this event that we're involved yeah. with, this, this woman that we helped to raise some money for. Mm. Oh, why was that so good? Oh, look, I just made me so proud to be involved with this organisation. Mm. it's just that's cool why should it be horrible going to work I just don't believe in that yeah go to work have some fun tell some dad jokes and do some just great stuff cool awesome you're obviously in the thick of it at the moment with winter having suddenly happened a few people have said to me that with the lockdown we kind of went from summer straight to winter 
without noticing. Um, and and so things things by all accounts are, are going pretty well with the business. That wasn't the case a couple of years back. Uh, do you want to just share a bit about that around the business, but also about your personal journey within that? Yeah, sure. So nearly two years ago, 18 months, two years ago, we faced some pretty significant financial challenges. Uh, we'd come off, we'd, we'd grown exponentially over about four years. And then we decided to take the plunge hiring a, a new salesperson, which, which, which is a big commitment. It's, it's, you know, you think, oh, salespeople, they bring money into the business. Well, they, they do, but the reality is they are an overhead. Yeah. You know, your people doing the work are your runners and the people in the office are your overhead. That's the reality. Uh, and wonderful human being. She was, she was great, but it really didn't quite work out for us the way that we'd envisaged. We come out of peak season, which is our July, August. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, sales absolutely tank in the August. And we're going, we have no reserve going into our off season. Mm-hmm. So the reality with our business and the current model is we're a nine-month-a-year business. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, it's, it's break-even at best. We do other things. We, we plan and we, we strategize, But that's that's the reality. So if you don't make that little nesty in, mm-hmm. in the wintertime, you it's going to be a tough summer. Anyway, it just continues to tank. Sales just drop like you wouldn't believe uh, to the point of us going, I feel like we're in trouble here. Mm. So I reached out to, to a couple of friends, um, uh, Dorian Cry and Jeanette Quant, um, caught up with them at like 9 o'clock on a Tuesday night. And I'm by this stage, I'm absolutely spent. I am, it's, it's been, a, been a bit of time's gone past, but I'm realising... This, this result's not getting better. The bills are still piling up, but the, the dollar's coming in the door. Your cash flow mm. has, has gone to a trickle. So we're in trouble. The problem about that time of the year, that August, September time of year, then you start getting your tax result for the previous year, which was astronomical. But guess what? Hadn't put any money aside for tax. You know, thinking that it's always going to be good, that's okay, I can, I can mm. just work, work it into the, into the budget. That doesn't work when the budget's going back because there's nothing left, absolutely mm. nothing. So I met with these guys, these wonderful human beings at 9 o'clock on a Tuesday night. Um, they outlined what I needed to do pretty much straight away, but I was pretty much at, you could call it rock bottom, uh, emotionally, physically. I'd, I'd spent, we, we had a young son at that stage, uh, young Bo, still coming into our room in the middle of the night and sometimes mm. four or five times a night. And, and I'm now I'm starting to wake up at four o'clock in the morning. Mm. I can go to sleep easily, but I'm awake and I'm thinking. Mm. Problem is, by this stage, I'm now starting to get this anxiety, yeah. this build-up of anxiety, which was just uh, like blew anything I'd ever had before. Mm. And I'd had little instances of it through, through life, um, but nothing like this. I'm talking, this is like getting shot with a taser at four o'clock in the morning and it just, they're just leaving a taser on, like every fibre in your being is just alive and, and awake and you're, 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 you're hypersensitive. And I remember at 20 past four in one morning just going, oh God, oh God, oh God, what do I do now? And that was the limit of my prayer, right? That's the limit of my reaching out. Um, but sincere, I can <laughs> promise you it was sincere. And, like, and, and waking up, some, some nights waking up, so dripping in sweat, I actually physically had to get up get towels, put them in the bed and, yeah. and, and change my pyjamas, my whatever. 
and and at times probably should have had a shout. It was that bad like mm. this? And this wasn't me being awake doing this. This is during the night. This m- physical manifestation of mm. stress, you would call it. Um, and it's it's going down the toilet, man. It's mm. it's it's going down the toilet. Um, and anybody that's been in that situation knows that the the blackness will start to creep in. That mm. that darkness of thinking. And you wrap it up in all sorts of things. The problem is it's so cunning. It's like it stalks up on you and you don't realise that it's starting to happen. You do down the track and you can get get some um, some strategies and techniques mentally especially to, mm-hmm. to, to ensure that it doesn't take hold. But oh, I didn't see this coming, man. I, it's creeping up and I'm thinking... I remember driving up towards uh, Littleton one day mm. and just driving away. And then this thought just comes into my head. I feel like someone's going to jump off Godly Head. And I'm like, oh, I think I really need to go and, and make sure they're going to be okay. And then it's a, such an unusual mm. thought that you, you would think is this like a sixth sense or is it mm. actually real? And then I realised I wasn't talking about somebody else. Mm. Now, was I at the stage where I would go and physically do that? No, no to be honest, I wasn't going to go and stand on Godly Head and jump off. That's, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is those thoughts are slowly yeah. creeping in to go, there's somebody else. There isn't somebody else. That's you, man. That's your thoughts. You need to own what's going on. And I sort of snapped out of it. I'm thinking, what am I what am I talking about? You know, I've got this beautiful family. I, I've got a loving wife. I've got, you know, and I took family, extended family. Mm. Wonderful, wonderful in-laws. Like, you know, you talk about you marry the family. I absolutely marry this family. It's just most wonderful, wonderful people. Um, and I'm going, man, this is me. I'm talking about me here. Mm. The alarm bells start ringing, right? And that anxiety, whereas before it started, you know, early in the morning was all the fibre, nerve endings in, your, in, in, in every part of your body is alive, you know, that taser, being shot with a taser. This is now like a blanket. This is like, if you can imagine darkness as a blanket, this is kind of like a cloak over the top, but it's not the good kind, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm driving up towards the tunnel, heading towards Littleton, and I thought, man, I'm not, no, this is not okay. I'm not going to put up with this. And the most bizarre thing happened. I drive into the tunnel and I'm like, and then I kind of stopped thinking. I was like, no, don't be so ridiculous. Just like get on with your day and stop being silly. By the time I drove out of the tunnel, I had just an absolute sense of peace. It was so noticeable. I'm like, that's weird. So now I'm at the stage where I'm thinking, I think I need to talk to somebody. And so uh, if I was being honest, I didn't actually talk to Emily about that stuff yeah. until later date and a lot later uh, she recently listened to an interview and comes out and says there's a lot of the stuff you haven't told me and I'm like oh sorry but what I did do was self-diagnosing going mate now's the time come on step mm. up if you you know I've always been a determined person so that night I talked about with Dorian and Jeanette sitting in their lounge going I'm spent I'm exhausted but deep within me I'm going but I'm determined. Mm-hmm. But I'm absolutely determined. And I think that's probably that determination is probably what's driven us to where we are today. And I'm determined um, for me, I'm determined for you, I'm determined for our community to yeah. to, to bring out the very best we mm-hmm. can. Um, and so I was like, I'm not doing it the best I can here. I'm going to make some changes. So usually the next question is, so what do you do, right? Mm-hmm. So 
what I did was I decided I was going to go and see a counsellor. It's the first time in my life. Uh, I've never really needed it before, but in this case, I, I really felt I did. And I walked in there and, and he explained to me that humanity to this point has, has not learned how to handle wealth. Mm. We are so early in our wealth journey, it's actually hurting us. Mm. You know, you think of, of, of um, a, a number of third world countries, some of the happiest people on yeah. earth, you know. Um, people from Nepal. I met some people from Nepal in Abu Dhabi when I was there. This is a five-star hotel, probably more than that. One of the richest countries in the world, right? These guys are paid 500 US a month to be there, and they could not be happier. And I'm like, come to New Zealand, we can pay you 30 times that. They're like, no, we are so happy. We have a job, we have a great well, life. I love my life, I love being here. And I'm thinking, man, this is putting me to shame. Like, is, is, do we really? But it goes back with that conversation that I had with the council saying, we do not know how to handle wealth. Mm-hmm. Imagine going from a business that turns over $250,000 a year to $3 million. How do you handle that sort of mm-hmm. wealth? It, it takes practice. Mm-hmm. Why do most millionaires that win a lotto, spend it all. We just, we, just, we just don't know how to handle that sort of wealth. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so, so talking to this, this counsellor, he laid it out for me, he said, you know, you think there's a tiger on the track, right? It's our innate fear of fight or flight. Mm. He said, but it's not, not a tiger. And I said, well, what is it? He goes, it's a possum. He said, but what you've done is amplified it to make it a tiger. And then further down the track, he goes, so that possum you thought was on the track? It's not a possum. He said, there's actually nothing there. Mm-hmm. He said, but some, somehow in your psyche you've created this, this fear response, which to be fair, every 20th of the month comes up. I did, about the week before I start waking up at 4 o'clock in the morning worrying about it. Yeah. When in actual fact, if I look back from two years ago where we were to where we are today, I'm extremely proud of yeah. my team, my family, and myself mm. of, of what we've done to actually turn it around. Um, what you may or may not know is that 80%, 80, I think it's 87% of businesses that start to tank go under. Right, wow. Right, so, so we know 95% of businesses fail within the first five years, it's about 80%, 80 to 90% in the first two years. So to make six years mm. tick. Huge. But boy, there's a toll that you pay along the way. Mm. There is. Mm. How has your faith played a part in this whole journey? I guess I'm really interested in, in hearing about how people see faith. As, is it a thing that you do or is it interwoven with everything else? Mm. Um, what's that been like for you? Well, I, I, I think it comes down to the foundation that you're standing on, right? So people talk about things like uh, prayer as a moment to stop and, and, and reflect. I, I, I don't find it like that. I find that it's an ongoing journey, yeah. a walk. So when you say, is it static or is it interwoven? Absolutely interwoven into yeah. everything you do. Uh, so uh, things like worship, like I enjoy creation um, to the max. Love being able to get out to, say, somewhere like Hamna, that road to Hamna is kind of my mm-hmm. defrag zone get up there and instantly I feel like I'm communing with God like that and so it's not like I've got to go up there and go like I'm gonna like do this prayer stuff and mm. do this worship stuff I'm just I'm there I'm in the, the presence right mm. but the critical factor for me is is the foundation it's it, but but it's more than just a spiritual dynamic I think I think it's kind of a physical dynamic as well so I 
I give and receive love, right, from, from those around. I find a communi- the community of people, and I'm talking broader community, not just the church, mm-hmm. broader community of people have influence in my life, and I will have influence in theirs as well. Mm-hmm. And so I probably give and receive a lot more that way than, mm-hmm. I, than I do um, on the spiritual side. But then having said that, I'm also deeply introverted in a spiritual sense. So I love... Um, spirituality prophetic sort of insights and stuff like that really mm. kind of resonates with me and you kind of see stuff before you understand it i remember um sitting there watching a, a lovely young couple one day who went together and hearing a song play over and over in my head about being together and um sure enough within <laughs> yeah. within three months they were together which were, which was cool mm. um but then beyond that as well as being able to speak into people's lives yeah to pick up some sense of what's going on and, 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 and so have you thought about it in this way? And to be honest, let's be honest here, I um, at times have a very thin filter and so it, it you know that can sometimes be construed wrongly but then at other times when you need someone, when you need to call on the, the big guns to just say what needs to be said, I'm quite often going to get that phone call. <laughs> you know, yeah. I think you really need to step up here but... The thing is, people really kind of appreciate that, mm. like, and and so in, in business. So coming back to business, a lot of you know the the traditional model of business, you do not hire friends and you do not hire family. That's just an absolute no no. Yeah. But that is absolutely the way that we've built our business. And we would go to the team before we'd ever go to the market. Who do you know that would fit these criteria in terms of employment? Um, uh, working with us do they meet the standard of excellence which is not perfectionism it's giving your best every day who do you know that's like that Um, because they're the ones we want to talk to Mm -hmm. Um, and that's been wonderful you know absolutely wonderful cool just a last couple of questions one uh, you know we've talked about quite a lot of hard stuff today if given the chance would you have preferred to have not gone through that Um, or do you look back on that now and go I wouldn't change that because of where I've got to mm. that's it's, the, it's at, an impossible question well but. it's it's too hard isn't it at the time yeah. <laughs> at the time absolutely I I that take this burden away from me I, I I'm not worthy enough to carry mm. this but the determine that determination that comes mm. from that is probably what turned the tide and the reality is emotionally I turned before we did financially to the point where I, I remember going home and saying to Emily, this is the situation, this is dire, we don't have any protection here, or I trust or anything like that. We've been the boats. Mm-hmm. She's like, oh, okay, great. You know, inside, I'm sure she was freaking out. But at the time, <laughs> that was exactly what I needed. Yeah. She's like, sweet, let's just get on with it. You know? yeah. and, and without saying it, kind of do what you do, but do it a heck of a lot better, please. <laughs> you know, um, She would never yeah. say that, but... Um, I would say that to myself, you know, if I was sitting across the table. At the time, absolutely, please just get me out of this. Mm. Our, our, our responses are uh, run to pleasure or run away from pain. That's usually, yep. Mine was, you know what, I'm going to face this head on. I'm, just, mm. I'm, I'm determined, come what may. Mm. If the business tips over, I'm going to learn some amazing lessons. Mm. Very much a Robert Kiyosaki sort of philosophy. What did mm. you learn? You know, if your business tips over, what did you learn? And I think in a lot of cases, and I, I probably picked this up in the turning of getting of recovery, which, by the way, has taken two years. Mm. Uh, I would, I would definitely say a lot of people probably pull out too early because it gets too hard. Yep. 
one of the things I was told in the very early days was you, you reach out first. People, don't let people reach back to you. Hey, mate, give us our money. You reach out to them and say, I have challenges. Uh, these are my challenges. This is my plan to alleviate these challenges. Can you help? Yep. Now, I would have done that across the board to 20 suppliers. Yep. And every single one of them said, we're right behind you. Just tell us what you need. Tell Great. us what you need. What a fantastic support, mm. you know. I guess the result is they don't get their money, but you know that that's the attitude that they have, and they don't see it as a business; they see it as a person. They're backing the person, right? Yeah. IRD exactly the same. Hey, IRD, there's no way we can pay this money back. Uh, how can you help? Oh, give us a plan. Fantastic, great plan. Right, go and implement it. As long as you stick to the plan, you're fine. Yeah, cool. But I think, and Toyota said this years ago, unless a, a manager had been bankrupt in their own business, they wouldn't have wouldn't take them on because they don't know the the cost of the pain. Right. Now, having been through it, I wouldn't be without it. I think it's made me a far better mm-hmm. business leader, a far better person, but I am definitely tougher. Mm. I'm, I'm probably not the powder puff I was back then. Mm. So uh, something needs to be said. I'll, I'll confront it in a nice way and, yep. and try and work through that as a solution. But at the end of the day, if I don't get the result I'm after, I'll, I'll put a line in the sand and say, no, it's not okay, we need to make a change. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm definitely a far better business owner. Mm. And, and lastly, you know, we've we've been through a whole lot this year, uh, and there's a lot of businesses who are finding themselves in the same place that you were a couple of years ago. If you were talking to those people, what would be your key advice for them? Yeah. Well, once the crying stops, <laughs> and then the anger, and then the and the heartbreak. Look, the reality is we are talking to people. A lot of people believe the business is a business is a separate entity. It's not. You know, eighty percent of business in New Zealand is small business. Mm. It is somebody connected to that business that's connected to a family. Mm. So they go home at night. They're awake at night. They're thinking about suicide. They're thinking about financial hardship, rack and ruin, all that sort of thing. I think we forget that. But to the business owners, I just say, just hang on. You know, mm. the the reality is there's a lot more support there. Then, then we understand. You know, when you look at the plethora of stuff that's there, mm. the only hindrance to us receiving that support is ourselves. Mm. So, if you're going to be all proud and stoic and try to just, you know, one of the things is don't bury your head in the sand. Do not bury your head in the sand. You get in front of it, not behind it. Mm. All right, and that's really, really critical in that stage. But within that, mental health is massive. You know, mm. We know these marriages are going to break up over this. We know people are going to be wrecking ruin. We know businesses are going to go under. Um, and the classic um, was you know, Flight Centre in, in a day losing 300,000 of corporate bookings. I mean, it's massive. Mm. You know, the warehouse laying off 1,000 a, a odd people. You know, it, it, it's, mm. it's a tricky time, but uh, I, I guess it comes back to those famous words of Winston Churchill, we will never surrender. And mm. I think that's probably the overriding thing that I would... I would say, and if I ever wrote a book, that would be the title. We mm. will never surrender. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's internally and externally. Mm. Oh, thanks so much for for giving your time today. Uh, really appreciate you being prepared to talk about that hard stuff. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people are going to uh, benefit from listening to this conversation. Um, and so, yeah, thank you for what you do to help to bring a bit of heaven down to earth. Awesome, thanks, Andy. It's been awesome. Blair is a great example of someone who gets that faith is something that affects all of life. He's a business owner, but his business isn't just ruthlessly after money. As we heard, money is 
pretty crucial. Uh, but for him, so is staff well-being. So is making a difference in his community. So is having a functioning marriage. So is mentoring others and getting the most out of them. I really appreciate Blair's willingness to be open about his struggles. His desire to share what he's been through, that it might help someone else. For me, that vulnerability is a sign of heaven on earth. Being open about the fact that life is hard sometimes gives others permission to do the same. And you know, Blair talked about being determined and that that was a huge factor for him in turning things around. But what I really like is that that determination led him to seek help, personally and professionally. He didn't try to turn things around on his own. And he was also proactive about getting others on board to support the plan that he came up with. So if you're in a situation, personally or professionally, where you need help, reach out. Check out more from Blair by searching for Heat Pumps Now on Facebook uh, or find them at their website heatpumpsnow.co.nz I'll have both in the show notes as well as some places to seek help if you're in a place where that would be beneficial. I'm thankful for the support of Ignition Networks, creators and integrators of deployable communication solutions and thanks to those who have signed up to help me do this thing. If you'd like to support me for as little as $3 US a month uh, head to downtoearthconversations.com and you'll find links there. Uh, and of course, you can also find us on Instagram or Facebook. Uh, the best ways that you can support the podcast, though, are to share it with your friends and your family uh, and to rate it on iTunes or wherever you listen. And that'll just help other people to find it. Uh, or simply get out and bring a bit of heaven down to earth in the spaces that you occupy. Next time, I talk to Takaradi Fitiao Scarborough about poetry, parenting, biculturalism, and changing names. Until then, me enoi tātou. E tō mātou matua i te rangi, kia tapu tō ingoa, kia tau mai tō rangatiratanga, kia mea te tau e pai ai ki runga ki te whenua, kia rite anō ki tō te rangi. Humma e kia mātou ai nei, he taroma mātou mō tēnei rā. Mūroa o mātou hara, me mātou hoki e muru nei i o te hunga, e hara nā kia mātou. Aua hoki mātou e kawea, kia whakawaia, e ngari whakorangia mātou i te kino. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.